0: So sometimes in life, you find the thing you were born to do. Literally, I was born to be on a stage speaking about the topics that I speak about. And the reason that you know that you were born to do that is it just like it makes my heart sing. Like I just literally, I, I, it, physically, it just gives me this energy energy.
1: Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B podcast brought to you by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Brand Awareness Manager Joe DeCaro. And today's guest, I've really, really been looking forward to getting to getting on the podcast because we've had her on several webinars and she's always been very entertaining and very informative. So this is Alison Edgar, MBE, Chief Smasher at Smash It Training. How are you doing today, Alison?
0: I am on top of the bottle, Joe. Really looking forward to our chat.
1: Fantastic. So, Alison is a business advisor who was awarded an MBE for services to entrepreneurship and business. She's a motivational speaker and a two times international best selling dyslexic author. So, Alison, tell us about Smash It Training. How did you get started?
0: So, I had been in a job for fifteen years, Joe, in a sale, you know, high performance sales job—and I never really thought that I would leave, honestly. And one day I went in a room, the CEO was doing like a, a roadshow around the country. And one of the audience who was also from field sales was talking about this newfangled thing called Google, which had um, started to take over the market and affected the company that we worked for. And he said, oh, don't worry about that Google thing. It'll never catch on. Um, so, you know, when it's time to leave a job and the CEO hasn't got any like forward thinking. And I hadn't, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. Honestly, Joe, I just didn't know. I'd been in the same job for 15 years, same company. I had just, you know, I think you kind of get yourself into a a high performing rut, don't you? You're scared to leave. You're, you're scared because you don't know what's around the corner. And I phoned my friend and I said, I'm going I'm to leave my job, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. And she said, oh, it's really easy. You're going to set up a sales training company to teach people how to sell the way that you do from your heart and from your passion and all- honestly and ethically. Oh, that's a great idea. So that's what I did. I set up my website and I was working in the job two days a week. And, you know, I still have young kids and disabled parents and all the other things that come with life. And that's when I started. And it started off as sales coaching solutions because there was a wee bit of imposter syndrome in there as well that I'd never been a sales trainer. I'd never been a trainer. And honestly, I'd never been a coach. So I had to kind of think on my feet how I was going to set this company up. Um, and then over time, I mean, obviously, the sales, the sales training company did really well, but um through lockdown, I wrote the second book, which was smash at the art of getting what you want. So more in a personal development space. And what I did was, I you know, I learned different techniques of how to lead people. And I thought, hang on a minute, that's the same as sales. The techniques are exact. leadership and, and sales is exactly the same thing. And it's, you know, you're just selling your idea and getting people to do things the way that you want it done. So we rebranded in 2021 as Smash It Training and Coaching. So it doesn't just do sales now; it incorporates leadership, change management, performance, so different things uh, as well as sales. And yeah, so it's been a great journey.
1: So with the, I mean, I want to touch on something you said just there. So with starting the the, the business like that. You mentioned imposter syndrome, and that's that's something which absolutely fascinates me because you know I, th- I think a lot of people that I speak to they m- mention you know imposter syndrome. So does that ever fade? Do you still get that now, despite the fact that you're now Alison Edgar MBE? Or do you still get it?
0: Um, I, you know, we've done some. I speak about this in um, at events, and we try and I'm, I'm always pushing my le- my knowledge to the next level. And I was listening to a podcast with Lewis Capaldi. You might have heard the podcast. And honestly, I was first of all thought, oh, my God, I've met somebody Scottish that swears more than me. I was like,
1: wow.
0: <laughs> he was talking about imposter syndrome right now. You would never think that he would have imposter syndrome, but it came after his first album. So sometimes, you know, when you start off in something new, you don't really have that. You know, you, you kind of you just kind of go for it, don't you? You dive in. And then as your knowledge grows, you worry that you can replicate it. So I think there's some of that. But when I did the original research, it was um, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Ames that did the original studies on it. And it was all high performing women in academia. And they were going through the thoughts, you know, they did the interviews and 100% of them thought it was a fluke that they were there, that, you know, other people knew more than them. And I think that's where, you know, when I started the company, I thought, I didn't and I'll give you an example, Joe, because a lot of people who do follow me or have heard me on the, the Lead Forensics webinars will think, oh, she's confident. but And I am. Like when I was in the role that I'd been in for 15 years, I had a lot of confidence because I knew my stuff. And I can remember going to this networking meeting when I just launched, well, Smash It Training, Sales Coaching Solutions at the time. And it was run by two women. And they said, that man over there, needs a sales trainer and I'm laughing, going, Oh, I don't think he really needs me. He probably needs somebody that knows what they're doing. Like, literally. And they're like, no, you do know what you're doing. You know, you're really good at this. And I think that's what came up with imposter syndrome is actually, you know, what you know is what you know. Like nobody knows what you know, because that's your knowledge. But what you do is you think that other people know more than you. They don't know more than you. They just know different things. And a lot of it comes again in Smash It, the book, Smash It The Art of Getting What You Want. We look at social comparison. And I and I think that, you know, as a startup business, I looked because I know that you have a lot of them on your webinars, like the big names like Chris Murray or Tony Morris, or you know, these like these like proper sales trainers. And then there's like <laughs> a little of me coming in. But I think what I did was I had to kick it to the curb really quickly. And I think this is the thing. It's a bit like if, if you if you let that hold you back, it means you can't help the people that you want to help. So, you know, you don't set up a sales training company to not help people to be able to sell. And it, by me not getting over myself and believing that I can do it, then that means I can't help all the people that need my help. So that was the sort of... Um, the, the side behind it but again it's the the other part which is the, the part that Luce Capaldi talks is like the um the Dun, Dunning-Kruger report and it's this dip that it starts at the beginning and you think oh yeah, yeah I've got this whoa then the confidence levels go down and then it comes back at the other end when you're an expert in your field and I was talking to Rebecca about this yesterday because I thought because I would never say I'm an expert in my field like I'm literally people say oh my god you've done so well I'm like I'm at base camp base camp one I've got so far still to go that I am not an expert in anything I'm still learning every single day and I think the day that you think you are the expert and that you have taken it on that's probably the day that you're you know it's time to hang up because Mm -hmm. you know you've got to take it to a level and Rebecca said yeah but what about a a consultant what about um, a medical consultant like after 40 years they kind of you know, they would be over their imposter syndrome because they would be at the top of their field. I said, but no, because um me- the medical industry, technology is, is really ch- revo- revolutionising that. So there are new things going on. So I don't think you can ever be that expert. So I kind of uh, challenge that report as well, the Dunning, Dunning-Krugging report, or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, I, I I am aware of that that episode. I think it was it was Diary of a CEO, wasn't it? It was Stephen Barr's yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, you know, obviously being a business podcast host, you have to listen to that one. Um, and yes, you
0: do. Know. There was a lot of there was a lot of, and I tell you what was really in, influ, like interesting because like behavior breeds behavior, doesn't it? And I don't think that I have really, I, I don't I am not a regular listener, but I don't think I've heard the host swear very much. And what was then happening was because Lewis Capaldi was swearing, the host started swearing. And it's interesting, isn't it, how you were influenced by other people's behaviours. And I found I'm fascinated by psychology, absolutely fascinated by it. And how does that come from? Where does that go? How is that? Hmm. And I found that another interesting takeaway from that podcast.
1: Well, I mean, to that end then, this links rather nicely into a question another question I have for you. So, I saw this piece of content that you shared. I think it was maybe a week or so ago, perhaps it was slightly longer. Yeah, it was just yeah, just about a, a week ago. So, you'd been in Wigan um doing a smash it HIIT session, hit session on well-being, reducing anxiety, right? And then you receive a text message from somebody who had been in the class this person said, today you showed me that life is so short, so I took the chance and rang somebody. So someone that presumably they'd not been in contact with at the time. So I'm sort of intrigued as to exactly what sort of things it is that you're teaching people that elicits such, you know, quite an intense emotional response, but also that's, that's quite an intimate thing to share. So what, what is it that you're, you're teaching people that, that brings about that sort of, that sort of uh- post?
0: Do you know what's interesting, um, Joe, as well? Because, you know, we talk a lot about marketing, don't we? And and see when you have got such an array of content, because people talk all the time, oh, you need to niche, you must niche, you must niche. And I have got such an array of content that it's really hard to niche. So it was a well-being, and, and this is what I mean, that a lot of the stuff that I that I, I learned when I was in sales is applicable to everyday life. It's just a lot of people forget to join the dots. They, they, they completely isolate that knowledge. And we had been talking about, um, it, it was how to reduce anxiety, and work on your own mental health. And again, a lot of it comes back to the psychology. So we talk about goal settings, and, and I think that has got that started to business, that in business, specifically as an employee, you're driven by goals because the goals are set for you by someone else. But actually, when you ask people, you know, what are your goals and how are you working towards them? So many people haven't set their own personal goals. And I think that's where that's where time, this is the thing, this is where it came back. But time is the biggest, like the most precious commodity that we have in our life. And if we look, you know, if COVID taught us one thing, it's, you know, really embrace your time with the people that you want to be doing, really set goals, really work towards. And people say to me, well, what is, Alison, what is smash it? How do you define smash it? It's happiness. Because ultimately, you know, you strip out all the material things, you strip out absolutely everything in our life. And it's, you know, who wants to get up in the morning and feel shit? You want to get up in the morning and just literally live your happy life. And when you've got friction, And again, this comes back to life in the workplace. If you've got friction in your workplace, you don't want to go to work. If you've got friction in your life with people, family, friends, neighbours, you don't want to get up in the morning. And sometimes, you know, and that's what I talk about in Smash It, the ways that you can resolve that friction with other people. And to, to expand on the sentence a bit more, it was actually the person's nan. So it was the lady's nan. And there had been a falling out over a lifestyle choice that the person in the audience had made. And again, another thing, I listened to the CAM app and the CAM app was talking about anger and how anger actually comes from fear. So it's fear that makes us angry. So if you look at road rage, the reason we get angry in the car, we're worried about our material possession, the car or our health and safety. And it triggers the anger. If you look at relationships We get angry in relationships because actually there's a fear of rejection. Somebody might leave us or a fear of not being loved. And all that comes back to Maslow's. So, again, it's magical the way that, and I tie Maslow's back to Tom Hanks, the castaway movie. But that's what had happened in this person's life, that because of her lifestyle choice, she'd had the breakdown in relationship with her nan. And instead of like trying to resolve it, people just go F it. I don't need you in my life I can do without you and we can that's time is precious and that's where she decided to sort of bite the bullet picked up the phone Nan was really welcoming Nan cried she cried and then they, um, they were meeting up so I think that's where and it, and it comes back to you know just that understanding and People use time as an excuse. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Bullshit. You just don't know how to manage it properly. Because when you know how to prioritise your time towards happiness, that drives you. That's what drives you. And I think uh, you probably... Because we've never talked about any of this stuff, Joe, have we? We talk about, you know, marketing, sales, business. But this is the core stuff that people... and and, oh I don't want it to sound really big-headed but I change people's lives like literally the messages that I get on a daily basis like that one that when I've met people don't buy me on paper right I'm not you know you look at me on paper you wouldn't touch me with a barge pole but when people have met me they've listened to me they've spoken to me go oh my god like she really has helped just change my life so yeah but how do you niche that one? Because that just is it's so difficult because I do so many things.
1: So just to tie it into my next question then, which I think this links quite nicely, is that um, you talk about, you know, changing people's lives and, 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 and things like that. I imagine that as, as a two times bestselling dyslexic, dyslexic author, you would have spoken to many, many dyslexic people, and, and I'm sure that you know they had positive things to say about you. So it does make me wonder what school was like for you, and if you could go back to the schoolgirl, Alison, what would you say to her? Would she believe you if you said, "Look, you're going to sell best-selling books all over the world"? What What was that? What would that conversation look like?
0: oh, I'd never think, like, literally, you'd never have convinced her of that. And she was very strong-willed, that schoolgirl, Alison. She would just have called you a liar. Um, I think the other thing, though, that goes really hand-in-hand with this one is you have to not just tie in the schoolgirl, Alison, you have to tie in the daughter, Alison, if that makes sense, because those are the things that are intrinsic in what makes me, me me. And so we were, I was brought up in a, a high rise council flat, 3C Castleview. Um, my mum was a cleaner, my dad worked in the shipyards. I've got an older sister, Norma, she's seven and a half years older than us. And there wasn't much money. You know, my mum used to go out and clean at five, and then my dad would go to work at eight, and then my mum would go out and clean houses, and then she would come back again, um, and then she would be in for dinner, and then my dad would come in and she would go back and clean school. So I think there was a good work ethic. We were, the family were grafters but for not much money. And my sister is academic. So my sister is really great. She got A's in her O level. She got A's in her hires. She went to uni. She became a pharmacist. And I think this is where it became apparent with my parents. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They didn't know why. They thought I wasn't trying initially. It was like, oh, you're not putting in any effort. And then they could see actually I was putting in the effort, I just couldn't retain the information. But people didn't know what dyslexia was. So that 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 was the lack of education around neurodiversity at that at that time. And um it came to my O levels. So this girl loved school. I mean, I loved it, but I loved it because I had a load of pals. And you know, like Joe, you know me when I'm networking, loads of people know who I am, I chat to everyone like you you just what you see with me is what you get so school was never a, uh it was a a great experience from a a community perspective I loved going hated the classes but when it came to getting my o-levels GCSEs or whatever they were I got a c I say I've got no qualifications I've got I have got a c for arithmetic so I, I quite like the numbers but my house was full of cards, congratulations cards, because we never had a washing machine. So my mum had to go to the laundry. Right. And my mum would meet all the women in, in Glasgow. They call it the steamy. You are know, the talk of the steamy because people didn't. A lot of people didn't have washing machines like us. So but that my mum had been saying, oh, look, I wasn't going to for arithmetic. That's amazing. And people were congratulating me for getting a C for arithmetic. But they weren't congratulating me on the C. They were congratulating me for the effort that I had put in to get that seat. And I think that's where, like, we were effort equals reward. So it wasn't about actual output. It was about the effort that went into doing everything. And then I left school at 16 and I got a job in a hotel as a hotel receptionist. And that's been, you know, working in that kind of environment is how I started to excel. So if you'd have asked the girl in the hotel... I, th- I still don't think she'd have ever. have thought she'd have written a book. I don't think. I think that was something that really hit me like a ton of bricks in my in my fifties when I wrote the books. But I I felt that I was uh, possibilities were endless and that I could achieve things if I put my mind to it because my parents had always given me that belief and that's why I worked so hard to help people, Joe, because not everybody's parents give them that self-belief you know a lot of people have a really bad start and even people with a lot of money as parents don't give them that self-belief so I don't believe it's a an economic thing because we didn't have it economically but I just think and I look now and people say and when I was doing that talking in and somebody said so what is your greatest achievement oh my god I've got two boys like they're they're just amazing. One's working for Softcat and the other one is in second year at uni um, in in doing his placement year in engineering. And they're, it's not what they've done. Again, it's not what they've done with their lives. It's just they are really great boys. They're thoughtful, they're caring, they're happy. And I think that's that. And, you know, I said, and also, look, it's like, if you like it, then you should put a ring on it. So, you know, I just celebrated my silver wedding as well. So, you know, you look at people, we know people that through industry, they, they work really hard, don't they? But to the detriment of their family and their friends, you know, they don't see their kids growing up. They don't do this. They don't do that. And I think for me, the reason I can talk about smashing it and happiness is because it's not just one facet of my life it's the whole life that I just, I just believe that I smash it. So why would I not want to take what I've learned and how I live my life and, and teach other people that? And, and that's where, you know, I've never read a business book in my life. I've never read a personal development book in my life. I just take how I live my life and I translate it to help other people. So that's the sort of gist of where all that comes from.
1: Mm. What, a, what a powerful lesson though to be to be congratulated you know in the steamy by the community around you for your effort absolutely and i i think i think you and i personally we have very similar values i remember my parents saying something similar like my dad sitting down say, look if you want to work on the bins it's totally fine as long as you're the best bin collector you could possibly be we don't care we just want you to go and and do that thing and congratulations on the the silver wedding anniversary that's that's a lovely piece in the East. that's fantastic i
0: know i know i literally and again you know that teaches you a lot as well joe that it ain't easy to be married for 25 years <laughs> let me tell you and when we were getting married my mum and dad said to you are you sure you want to marry her
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i had a similar a similar conversation with my wife's parents so we've just had our, our third so hopefully we'll we'll be able to you know get to 25 in similar ways keep <laughs> them. So speak, speaking of achievements, then tell me about receiving your MBE because it's yeah. it's funny that in that entire conversation we were just having about you know achievements and bits and pieces that didn't really factor in. So tell me how that came about. How did it feel to to be recognised in that way?
0: I, I mean it, it it's overwhelming, but I I think this also has a side piece to it, and how I found out that I got it was during lockdown. And you remember the part when you were allowed in the gardens, but you weren't allowed in the house. Remember that part? And so, again, in both the books, I although the, it's got my name on the cover, Kaya Newham, who worked for me, again, I work with a lot of young people, as you know, from my team. She helped me write both the books. Right. So she, a, a lot of the story parts are mine. Uh, a lot of it gets stuck in my head and she helps me get it out. But some of the more, like, academic um, like academically bits, that's her, you know, she does much better at getting that out than I do. So she had been... And my, my team don't leave. I know that sounds really bizarre. I'll open the cage door and I tell them to go and fly because there's a big world out there. But they're always ready to come back in my wee cage if I ever need them. And at the time, Kaya had been working in Portugal. It was the part where you know where everybody came back home because nobody knew what was going on in the world. She, she came back, she didn't have a job and most businesses were furloughing staff or making redundancies and I didn't furlough. I, I I didn't think it was great for my team's mental health to have no structure in a day. I know how important structure is. So I battled on and again, they pimped me out on LinkedIn for LinkedIn webinars at a 10 a ticket. We just kept selling a 10 a ticket and that paid their payroll. So um kaya came back and didn't have a job and i said like do you want to help me write smash it and she went yeah 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 so we worked remotely and then on the day the first day back in the garden i, I my son thinks i've got adhd who knows i've never been diagnosed with that but i do get very easily distracted and um i checked i was checking my email and i just literally started to blub right literally i was i was hyperventilating crying and Kaya went, What's wrong? Has somebody died? <laughs> I went, No, are you my chief pre- press officer? She went, Yeah, I can be. Yeah, why? I said, Because only my chief press officer is allowed to. This, this email is so confidential that only my chief press officer is allowed to read it. She went, Yeah, that's me. And I said, I, I think I've been given an honour. I think I've got an MBE from the Queen. And she went, oh, that? She goes, I knew that last week. The man phoned me to check the details. And I went, how did you know? She goes, well, I nominated you three years ago before I left. She was 21 at the time, 21 or 22, when she wrote that nomination that actually got me an MBE. So yes I'm really proud of the NBE don't get me wrong and I'm so proud that it's for entrepreneurship and business which I love and I'm so proud that I'm a female because actually um, there's probably one or two percent of females get it for that topic but I'm equally as proud of the fact that Kaya a 21 year old at the time when she wrote it now a bit older than that I'm not telling your age but that achievement for her so not only has she written or you know helped me write two best selling books she's also written a winning mbe application i'm equally as proud of that as i am as the award itself
1: that's fantastic so it's just the yeah just the, the the full circle of that nature sort of doing it three years ago and then coming back and it popping up in the. that's fantastic though man,
0: it, man, oh, yeah i knew last week the man phoned me i was like what you didn't <laughs> tell me so i'm not allowed to tell you it was a secret all right okay there is part of
1: me that is surprised that it doesn't come via, you know, like a carrier pigeon, or it's not hand-delivered by a phone. You no, know, it office.
0: would have, I think, in back in the day uh, pre-Covid, it would come in the post, but because nobody was in offices, like, Cabinet Office was shut, everybody was working from home, you mm. couldn't access the franking machine, I wouldn't imagine, so uh, <laughs> it came in by email.
1: Um, I feel like you, you may have sort of started to touch on this slightly, but I, I'm going to ask you outright anyway. What really motivates you at the start of a day the start of a week what gets alice and egger out of bed every day
0: uh, honestly my team motivate me every day because a lot of people say oh you know here's your business heroes oh definitely my team they're brilliant like literally and again coming back to that structure um during like the lockdown period and a part of the reason that i didn't follow was for my own mental health as well because if i knew i had to get up I, because i am quite easily distracted I, I could spend a fair bit of time on TikTok, you know. Um, But we, and I think this is coming back to people don't really know what I teach, right? So they know that, you know, they know me from the sales perspective. But a lot of the stuff is like, we've got things like, we've got an empty inbox policy. So every day, empty inbox. We manage our time using Alison Edgar's big balls. So we talk about the basketballs, tennis balls, ping pong balls. Um, We like use Trello to manage our tasks. We work collaboratively on the task and then we distribute the task and then we put is this a basketball, tennis ball, ping pong ball. So it's really very rarely that we drop the ball on anything. I mean I touch wood, like we are really easy to work with, we're really easy to communicate with. But that said we also don't suffer fools gladly when we're working with people that don't live up to our standards. We give constructive feedback on how they can improve their communication techniques because that's what I teach now, really, communication. And then we've got quite defined roles. So Jazz does all the socials, all the marketing, the blogs. Rebecca does all the operational things, contracts, um, invoices, all that kind of stuff. And I stick to the two parts that I love the most, sales, of course, so I do all the sales calls and then I do the delivery. So I'm the, you know, most of the stuff now is spent in doing um, talks at big companies. So I'm trying to think who we work with. Adobe, Amazon, MetLife, EasyJet, Sky, Barrett Homes, NHS, um, Network Rail. So I have got, and, and I think is when you talk about things like this Joe, it's quite interesting because I just take that now as read and people go oh my god you and I get this a lot people say oh you're so inspirational Ah, you know I'm still at base camp one I don't see myself as that inspirational but maybe that is imposter syndrome but when I started the business I started the business at 46 wrote the books at 50 51 I think but when I started the business I had no clients at all And I don't think that's unusual, but I had no connections either. So the only people that were in my phone were the mums from school, my kids, parents, you know, parents, my pals from school and my family. I had no clients at all. And now, less than eight years later, I'm working with some of the biggest household names in the world. And I'm proud of that. And not, again, so that it sounds boastful, but actually to make people believe that if I can do it, they can do it anything's possible I don't come from you know I, I don't I don't come from money I don't come from academia I just have a plan I set goals I graft and I smash it and that's that's all I can do so I don't think, I don't working. think it's
1: yeah I don't think it's boastful at all I, I don't think so. I think it's yeah it's it's absolutely worth noting worth celebrating because well why not you've put the work in yeah so so then going from Motivation for work and what gets you out of bed. How do you decompress from work? How important is that switch off? I mean, you mentioned your empty inbox policy at the end of each day, but what is it that you do to just, you know, switch off and relax?
0: So another thing, because I've made changes in my life. So one of the things I, up until the age of fifty or fifty-one, I had never done any exercise. I know that sounds a bit random, but I would never, I never deemed it that important. I thought it was invincible, and that my health would just be like tip top forever. And it turns out I've actually got quite bad arthritis. I didn't realize it, I didn't even know it was a thing. And I struggled to walk some days and I struggled to hold things, can't open jars, all that kind of stuff. So I went to the doctor and said, Oh, like, can you can you sort this out? And they went, Yeah, if you lose some weight and and become a bit fitter, it will get a bit better. So I thought, Oh, so I I'd never run. And I was watching the London Marathon, right? So this is a few years ago. I'm watching the London Marathon. I'm going, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do the London Marathon. And I get my credit card out and I'm ready to sign up. I'm going, the chicken soup people do it, people just as trees. Anyone can do the London Marathon. And then I thought, hello, oh, how many miles is that London Marathon? Oh 26.2. How many of a look on Google Maps? Oh, I, I don't I've never actually done any running. Anyway, I decided to sign up for Couch to Five K and week one, you have to say you have to run a minute. Oh, Joe, can you run it? Literally, I was on the pavement crying, physically on the pavement mm. crying because I couldn't do it. So I just kept repeating week one, week one, week one, and then I get I, start, I get stuck at week six as well. Week six, week six, week six. Just kept doing it over and over again. And again, practice anything and you get better at it. So I did couch to 5K, then I did couch to 10K, then I did a half marathon during lockdown, and then I climbed Mount Snowden. And um, I then discovered... A really weird thing actually, you burn more calories if you walk rather than running. And I'm thinking I'd be better off without walking, so I didn't. I, I found running really tough. The, ha- the half marathon really nearly broke me mentally and physically. So I do boot camp now, so I do like outdoor exercise. So I do boot camp and then I do the gym, so I, I look after myself now from a health perspective, I've, you know. Stamina is important as a speaker and a trainer because you're up the front, you know all that, and you've got to be really high energy. So you can't fake that. You've got to really have that energy. So I do exercise. I try and see. I've got Hovis Canovis, the king of the dogs. So I, I go for a walk every Sunday morning when I'm here with my friend Cheryl, her and Ned and I, and again catch up with my friends, just chat, laugh. And then I've got quite a lot of entrepreneurial friends like Ben Towers, Simon Crowther, Jordan Dakin. You know, they are my like friendship group in business. So we spend as much time together as we possibly can. And again, I love to talk about business. I can be a bit of a business bore. So when you're with the other business bores, it's great because you can talk about the topic (laughs) and nobody tells you to shut up. So just really doing the thing that makes my heart sing. And I think it's knowing what those things are and having that... um, you know balance in your life, and if I feel like like tomorrow, oh my goodness, tomorrow, Joe, tomorrow, I'm at the Attitude Awards, so um I'm an LGBTQ plus ally, and I tell you what, the Attitude Awards, that's how I balance my life. It is just the best night. I'm like, oh, like last year. Steps were there this year. Mel C's there. I met Richard Wilson, uh, Russell T. Grant. The cast of It's a Sin. Um, Michelle Visage is there this year. You name it, literally. I'm in my glitzy, glancy uh, Queen element, and and I think just doing the things that you want to be doing, just make yourself be happy. You life is short. Time is precious.
1: Well, I, I 100% am going to be checking your LinkedIn for photos, videos of. Oh, of honestly, that we've got sort. a
0: plan. I'm going with Simon Crowther, so we've got a plan to get as much content as we possibly can.
1: <laughs> and also, just like to, just going back to that marathon story, it was a very on-brand story for Alice and Edgar. I think just looking at the marathon, yeah, I'm doing that, and just being, like, yeah, I'm going to do it. But also, how casually that you went from okay, so I struggled doing, you know, the, the week one, week one. And as you were listing off what you did, you just went, oh, yeah, climb Snowden. Just like that, just as if it were nothing. So, no, that was fantastic. Yeah,
0: so no, I think, I, I, do you know, what, if people say one of the things I'm proudest of, and, and I think, again, this comes back to my parents. Like, my mum was one of those that, oh, you know what, I could have gone to Canada. Oh, you know, we could have bought a house. We should have done that. And on her deathbed, she was, like, reeling off all these things that she wished that she had done or regretted doing and I thought I just never want that to be me so Mm. I think uh, one of the catalysts for me the biggest moves the biggest changes I made was when I I turned 21 on the plane on the way to Cape Town so I left Scotland when I was what 20 in theory Um, and that led to me traveling for six years but on my own so again, I think, you know, people would like, oh, I couldn't travel on my own. What well, happens so I don't meet anyone? I can oh, I love traveling on my own because then you're not anybody else's master of where you want to go. Mm. You're your own boss. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people talk the talk and they're scared. They're scared that it, it fails or it doesn't work and they stick in that rut. And then again, even giving up a job to set up a business, like all of that stuff. I think that my fear of failure and I'm very low risk, so I know that sounds really bizarre, but I wouldn't take a risk if I, I didn't really have a if it wasn't a thought through plan. I wouldn't like just jack in my job and go and get up and set up a business. I I seesawed, so I had revenue coming in while I was running the business. You know, when I went to South Africa initially, my sister was living there at the time, so before I got my own flat, I had a base point to go to. So again, um, but then I got a wee bit braver. Like then I went. And I lived in Australia for a couple of years. I've been travelling the states, and so I think I've had that coming back to that younger self. I've had that bold streak. I'd say that I'm quite bold um, and brave, or whatever you want to call it. But I just I just think well, I don't want to be living on my, you know, and being on my deathbed and going. Wish I had done that. Oh, I really I had that in me or I could have done that. Honestly, if I get knocked down by a bus tomorrow, I know that I've lived my best life. There's nothing I wish I'd done because I've done it. And if I find another thing that I want to do, then I just go and do it. Like next week, Mm -hmm. um, I'm in California for a week because I'm trying to break the US speaking market. And um I'm the Adobe, I'm an Adobe influencer for Adobe Acrobat, because we use Acrobat for all our contracts. We think it's amazing. But Adobe Max campaign is on in the LA Convention Centre. So I haven't got a ticket, but bet my bottom dollar I'm going to get a ticket for that one. So, yeah, I think it's just taking those opportunities and and not be afraid of the, you know, what what's the worst that can happen. But don't, mm. you know, calculate it first.
1: I suppose. And also you'd, you'd rather, you know, if it did, it, whatever it, the venture was, if it did go belly up, I'm sure you'd much rather say, well, I had a go at it rather than not trying at all, I guess. So
0: oh for sure. Like what's like if you start a business and it doesn't work out, what's the worst thing? Go back and get a job. Hey ho. Hey ho. I use that phrase a lot. Oh hey ho. <laughs> what um
1: what else did so you travelled for six years? What else did you learn? What else did that traveling teach you?
0: <sighs> Taught me so I talk about I've got a strategy when it comes to people and sales and business and it's the Kenny Rogers the gambler strategy I think I talked about this in the the webinar so you gotta know when to hold in know when to fold in know when to walk away and know when to run and I think that you know don't stay in a situation that isn't working out you know if, if you think it's not working out just go and that's what happened when I you know like Australia, for example, I'd been there for two years. I had a working holiday visa to start with, and then I had a temporary residency visa. And bizarrely, this is something that you know I reflect a lot, and I think I really loved that job. I really loved living in Australia. Why? Why then was it time to run? And actually, the boss at the time asked. I was the sort of like rooms division manager, so I looked after front desk, concierge, um, and like housekeeping, and I did like EOD, executive on duty, so I would be in charge of the hotel, like in the nights and all that kind of stuff. And the general manager asked me to rewrite the standard operating procedure. Now, this is, I think, where the dyslexia became quite apparent because I, no matter how hard I tried, just could not get past page three of rewriting it. And I was like, said to him, I'm really struggling with this. This is like, I'm a people person that you know locking me in a room with a pen trying and we didn't even have well I was going to say we didn't have computers there was computers but it wasn't anything like we've got now it wasn't like a word document you just had to edit you had to then retype everything and rewrite it from scratch and I was really struggling to the point that I decided to leave the country because that actually this is a job that is, is, is really hurting my head it's not making me happy and If I'd have known about dyslexia then, I could have said like, this is just not really the right thing for me. I'm dyslexic. There must be somebody better that can write the standard operating procedures. So I think that's where, um, you know, not being afraid to make a change again. So it's the same sort of theme, but in a a more negative way of why I made that change.
1: What, What do you love about your industry and what would you change about it?
0: So sometimes in life you find the thing you were born to do. Literally, I was born to be on a stage speaking about the topics that I speak about. And the reason that you know that you were born to do that is it just like it makes my heart sing like I just literally I, I it physically it just gives me this energy and then the reason you know you're doing a good job when you watch an audience and they don't take their eyes off you, literally, I can be in a room and people will not, they won't look at their phone. They won't, they just will look at me staring at me. It's like a music concert, you know, when you're at a music concert, you just sit there and you're just like listening away. I know that I make that impact. And I think what i change about it, it's still, and again, I hate using the diversity card, but it's still very male dominated. It is still 75% of all speakers are male um And also, a lot of the time, I don't know. Again, I was going to say I don't know whether I don't get picked because I'm a woman. I don't know. I don't know that as a fact. So I'm not going to comment on it, but I just feel that when uh, women are underrepresented in that space, but again, I think that everybody has to have that role model, and some seeing somebody doing it makes it possible for other people. And I spoke at a conference, like a women's conference. This is a few years ago, and the theme was "Lift as You Climb." So that's what makes me have to, you know, keep going what I'm doing, keep taking it to another level, like going to the States, because if I if I can do it, other people can do it. But if you can't see somebody else who looks like you doing that, then you're not going to have that role model to follow, uh, to follow. So I just think it's, by me doing it, it, it just blazes a trail for other people.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure that in, well, I imagine in every single one of your audiences, there is another, you know, Alison Edgar sat there who's, you know, mum's going to go down to the to the laundrette and say, oh, she's, you know, doing really well for her exams and that sort of thing. And you'll be, you know, because of something that they've heard in your one of your, one of your talks. So, uh, to change tack slightly, then, and normally I, I would have prepared you for this question because it can put people on the spot, but I am going to ask it anyway. What is the best? And by best, I could also mean worst sales or marketing joke you've ever heard
0: i don't think i've ever heard any (laughs) literally do you know what i'm really bad at staged like i can never remember a joke because of the (laughs) retention issues that i've got (laughs) all i can think is well do you want me to make one up (laughs)
1: Yeah, if, if, feel free, go okay, free. it. Okay,
0: why, why did the chicken cross the road?
1: Why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. To get
0: the signed contract. I don't know, that's probably one of the <laughs> worst jokes I've ever heard, but, like, you would cross that road to get that contract signed when you you eating the chicken or not, so I don't know.
1: No, that was, that was a fantastic, it, and, you know, ad hoc, off the hoof, I thought that was brilliant, so... Um,
0: I don't know Alison, about that.
1: Literally, I'd give that <laughs> zero out of five if I was stealing it. In, I'm giving it ten out of ten. I don't care. That was it was perfect. Um, Alison, it's it's always a treat to speak to you. As soon as I knew we were doing this this morning, I I, I couldn't wait to, to get out of bed and, and you know get on the get down the line, get this recording and chat to you. So, just to finish, what is one Top tip, one takeaway that you would like people who are listening to this podcast, watching the video, what would you like them to take away from this conversation we've had?
0: When I got to the end of Smash It, Kaya and I went through all of the sections and went, well, what's our takeaway from this? Mm, It's all about growth mindset. What's our takeaway from this section? Oh, it's all about a growth mindset. So to me, life is all about having a growth mindset. If you do not know what that is, I could recommend a brilliant book called Smash It, The Art of Getting What You Want, that covers that. But it's all about battling the voice in your head to overcome negativity, stay in positivity, and literally to smash it.
1: Alison, I get MBE, talk of the steamy. Thank you so much for joining me on the Essential B2B Podcast. This has been a fantastic conversation.
0: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.